There's no doubt in my mind about it. God is going to change you today. And you say, Pastor Rick, how is he going to change me in the way you need to be changed? He's going to fix you right where you need to be fixed. As a matter of fact, the, the restoration process for many of you begin today. Things you have lost, things you've walked away from, things that have been aborted, things that have accidentally slipped away. Today it starts coming back to you. I need somebody to talk back to me if you believe it today. Tell your neighbor today's the day. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 1, after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, David said to Nathan, the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. Listen to the words, for the Lord is with you. Well, that's powerful. For the Lord, now when a prophet tells you that God is with you, there's nothing more confirming. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day that I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving. I have been moving from place to place. Strong stuff. With a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over the flock. I have been with you. Listen to it carefully. Wherever you have gone and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own. And no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people. Isn't it something that the enemy always attack, attacks when leadership is ordained? I will also give you rest from all your enemies. Listen to it carefully. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish, say these four words with me, a house for you. Say it again, a house for you. I need you to look at three people and say those words, there is a house for you. There is a house for you. I'm going to preach a message today for three hours and 35 minutes entitled, Make Your Mark. Say that to four people now. Make your mark. Make your mark. Now, Jennifer's already prayed a powerful prayer in here, but I'm going to just pray a prophetic prayer over your life right before we preach. Lift your hands, please. Lord, let a mantle fall in this place. A mantle that has a measure of faith that will obliterate any limits that has been placed on our progress in you. Expand our boundaries today. Enlarge our borders today. And while we're praying, we speak a shield of cover and protection over the people of Ukraine. Cover them. The churches there. Cover the pastors there. Cover the people of God there. Cover the people of the country there. 
protect them, God, in Jesus' name. This church reaches their faith to the country Ukraine right now, to the Ukrainian people. God, cover them in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I ask you to do something simply explosive and demonstrative in this sanctuary. We did not come here to be placated. We didn't come here to be patted on the back. We came here to be prophetically challenged. And we ask you for an anointing that breaks every yoke and sets the oppressed free. Do something conspicuous. Do something unique. Do something unusual. We need you today. We are a people that are desperate, living in a desperate hour. But we are a people that have a great amount of faith that you will do what you said you would do. Have your way in Jesus' name. Before you sit down, let's open up heaven right here one more time. Send Judah about this building. Come on, y'all. Give him praise. Before you sit down, tell your neighbor, make your mark. Make your mark. Verse 9 says, I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Listen to these words. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth. We begin a series on covenant this year. And we have been in this series for, for quite some time. And I'm going to continue this uh, for the next few weeks. But today is a special day for our church. It's a day of covenant as tonight. We will reassemble ourselves in this sanctuary and we will talk about the strength of God's covenant to this house, past, present, and future. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. We've covered some of this. I'm going to rehearse it for the sake of current revelation. 2022 is a significant year in many ways. I believe that 2022 will show us stuff prophetically we have never seen before in regards to the health, the strength, the fortitude of the people of God. It is important for you to lock in and locate your identity in Christ. Do not be shaken. Do not be moved. Do not let the circumstance change your mind about who your God is and who saved your soul. The letter Tav is the 22nd letter in the Hebrew alphabet, means a sign and a seal. It's actually, if you can see it pictured, it's a picture of two crossed sticks. The Hebrew mindset sees those two crossed sticks as a sling that was used to sling stones at the enemy. Um, it's interesting to me that Tav means the marking or signing or sealing of the covenant. The marking, the signing, and the sealing of the covenant. It literally means the mark of the covenant. The mark of the covenant. You'll see contracts today, even when you buy homes. They will slide the paper across the desk and they will put an X there. And they will tell you sign here. That is how it was derived from the word covenant or contract. Sign here. Crossed sticks. Sign here. My dad had a third grade education. That's as far as he went in school. His dad was struck by lightning when he was in the third grade. His mother died when he was in the third grade. My dad could not read. My mother read the newspaper to him every morning. It was her privilege. She would give him a check to go and buy things and I would be with him, and the check would already be filled out. And even at the age of nine, I could fill out the check. 
But when it came time to sign the check, he would mark it with an X because he couldn't write either. He couldn't read. He couldn't write. But he raised seven children. He was a very successful welder. And we're all successful today because of my dad's sacrifice. But there was something significant about my dad marking the spot. Because when he marked the spot, that was his authority. He was saying, I own it. I purchase it. It's mine. The phrase, make your mark, originated in archery. Bye, River. Bye, River. I love you. I love you, Papito. He wanted to preach with me today, and that's why I was a little bit distracted. I didn't know how much I was going to preach, and he was preaching back at me. But it originated in archery, and when the archer was learning to shoot the arrow, it was always, always told to him in his ear, make your mark. It was not hit your mark. It was make your mark, which meant hit your mark. It's interesting to me that the word sin means missing the mark. Sin is not necessarily cussing. Sin is missing the mark. Paul said, I press toward the mark of the high calling that is found in Christ Jesus. My desire is not to miss the mark. Hitting the mark is operating in the full efficacy of your purpose. You just missed that there. Hitting the mark is operating in the full efficacy of your purpose. When you miss the mark, you are not operating in purpose. When you do not operate in purpose, you lose power. You lose traction. You lose progress. It meant doing something that gives you, making a mark is doing something that gives you a distinction. To attain distinction. You know what, I want to challenge you today, before I even go a little bit further, that you make up in your mind that God has ordained you he has anointed you to make a mark in this world, to make a mark in your generation. Listen to this, to make a mark in your family. If making a mark is attaining distinction, then that means you don't have to be like everyone else that has come through your lineage. What I'm saying is, the same curse that held them in drug addiction. The same stronghold that held them in poverty should not be the same cycle that keeps you circulating the same curse in your life. At some point, somebody somewhere has to stand up and say, enough is enough. I'm about to make a mark in my generation, in my family, in my lineage, in my genealogy. Look at your neighbor and tell them, why not you and why not now? Make your mark. Make your mark. Verse 9, God says to David, help me, Holy Ghost. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now you're going to make your mark. Now I will make your name great. You're going to do something that everybody's going to know you by. You my man, David. I know all about you. I know your failures your faults and your flaws 
And none of that has disqualified you from being my man. Some of you look at your past and you think, I do not qualify to have a great name in this earth. Today I've come by to dismiss that notion and remind you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and all your days were written before one of them came to pass. You have not done one thing that has shocked God. And your destiny is not in jeopardy. I'm going to drop it on you right here. Your best is yet to come. I need about five people to jump up and shop. My best day is in front of me and not behind me. My God today. Mm. So God begins to remind David, you are my man. Verse 8 says, now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you. Nobody else took you. I took you. Your daddy didn't do it. Your mama didn't do it. Your education didn't do it. Your professor didn't do it. Your degree didn't do it. I took you. I took you from behind and I placed you in front. I took you from following to the position of leading. I don't know what your opinion is of the president of the Ukraine. I don't even care what it is. All I know is that dude right there is a tough somebody. When you say, listen, I was raised in this country. This is my soil. I'm going to fight. I'm going to put on the armor. I'm going to stand with my men. And I might die doing it, but I'm going to leave a mark in this earth. You might not celebrate him, but I do. Just because of his fortitude. And I pray Ukraine is the David facing Goliath. I pray they pull a sling out. I pray they sling something at Russia that shocks Putin. And the whole world, come on Zelensky, stand up. Make a mark. I'm sorry, I had to go there. I chose you. Psalm 78, verse 70. God tells David, I chose you. I told you this in the beginning of this series, Covenant. It means I tried you. You passed the test. And I selected you. Some of you are wondering why you're going through the trial you're going through because you are in the process of becoming a leader. The transition from follower to leader is a transition that requires a process. And it could be the maturation of your character. It could be the metamorphosis of your infrastructure of faith. But God, when he begins to move you from following to leading, has to take you through a transition. And transitions are modulations. They add intensity to your life. I've learned something about being a covenant man. That when you get into covenant with God, convenience leaves and details begin to matter. And when details matter, details start magnifying and the intensity increases. But the intensity is a reminder that you're going to the next level of living. You are in the process of promotion. Quit fussing about the trial and say, bring it on because you're only making me better than I've ever been in my life. God is preparing you for your next level of living. Oh, Lord, I haven't even began this message and I feel the Holy Ghost in this building. Jump up on your feet and shout, I'm becoming who I've always been ordained to be. Say it. I am becoming who I have always been ordained to be. Tell your neighbor, make your mark, man. Make your mark. I'll be dead gum. Y'all can sit down. I'll be dead gum if I'm going to die and not leave a mark in this earth. I'll be dead gum if I'm going to die and not cut a rut through the soil of this world. You got to make up your mind. You are not born on accident and you're not going to live ambiguously. You have an assignment. You have an appointment. You are important. You are significant. I have been with you. Verse 9. I want you to watch this now as we get into the content, the context, and the meat of this subject. 
I have been with you, verse 9 says, wherever you have gone, I have cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. God's commitment is to the man. God's covenant is to his people. I'm going to show it to you. God committed himself to David. And he reminds him, I have been with you wherever you have gone. Man, that's powerful. I don't know about you all. But when I look back over my life, When I look back over my life and think, God, you were with me there? Wait a minute. You was with me when I was smart, and you were with me when I was stupid. Don't act like you ain't acting stupid. You were with me when I was up. You were with me when I was down. I've learned something about the presence of God. I was with you wherever you have been. The presence of God is his endorsement. Say it again, Pastor Rick. The presence of God is his endorsement on a church, in a person's life. If his presence is there, his signature is there. Mm. Have you ever felt the presence of God? Have you ever felt like the presence of God wasn't there? David prayed like this. He said, Lord, restore the joy of my salvation and take not thy presence from me. I can live without material things. I can live without money. I can live without a palace. I can live without a crown. But whatever you do, don't take your presence woo, from my life. If you take your presence from my life, I am like a fish out of water. I can't breathe right. I can't function right. I can't move right. I have to have your presence. Lord, I need your presence in my truck. I need your presence in my house. I need your presence on my property. I need your presence in my family. I need your presence every day in my life. And that's why God said, if you make your bed in the pits of hell, I am there with you because I know the significance of my presence in your life. I know that you cannot function properly without me in your life. That's why Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. I'm going to give me some help in here in just a moment. This is a patriarchal promise. The patriarchal promise is the presence of God. God spoke to Jacob in Genesis 28, 15, and he said, I am with you. And I will keep you in all places, not some places, but in all places that you go. And I will bring you again to this land. And I will not leave you, Jacob. I will, he's not talking to Israel. He's Jacob right now. He's not Israel right now. He said, I will be with you, Jacob, until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. God said, my presence is going to be with you till my promise is fulfilled. And I came by to tell you, do not lose hope. Stay in the presence of God. How do you do it? Worship God. Praise God. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. There's a lot of churches wondering where his presence is. And I'm wondering where his praise is. Because if you get the praise in the house, the presence has to come down. How do you get his presence? You worship him with all your heart. And he settles down in your living room. He settles down in your bedroom. He'll settle down in your workplace.
place. All you got to do is praise him. His presence inhabits the praises of his people. Somebody shouted, God, send your presence. You know what the church needs today? A revival of the presence of God. We've talked about purpose. We've talked about practicalities. We've talked about everything but the presence. I think the church is scared of the presence of God because when the presence of God shows up, it don't take a back seat. When the presence of God shows up, it takes over. And people are scared that if the Holy Ghost shows up, somebody might start speaking in tongues. Somebody might take off running somebody might get out of a wheelchair somebody might receive a miracle and this generation has not been taught to seek the presence of God that's why Moses told God he said if your presence as Exodus chapter 33 if your presence does not go with us do not send us because it's your presence that gives us distinction in the earth your presence is our mark of distinction without your presence we're just like everybody else I don't know what you've been crying, but I've been crying, God, send not your omnipresence. We already know you everywhere at one time, but send your manifested tangible presence that you can feel in a room. You can feel in a sanctuary. If anybody is longing for the presence of God, say like David, as the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. The question is, how bad do you want it? I'm going to ask you to take 10 seconds to get up and praise him like you want the presence to come down in the building. When the presence shows up, you don't have to preach the right message. When the presence shows up, you don't have to sing the right song. When the presence shows up, people get saved. The backslider comes home and marriages are restored. When the presence shows up, the performance can end. I dare you to shout, God, send your presence. Unadulterated presence of God unpolluted presence of God show up Holy Ghost until you convict the sinner and restore the backslider show up Holy Ghost until your fire sets on the hearts of your people I gotta stop and he tells David I have been with you wherever you have gone I've been with you. And watch what he says. And I have cut off all your enemies. Read the whole thing. I have cut off all your enemies from your sight. He didn't say you don't have enemies. Oh, how I wish it would say. He has cut off all our enemies. It don't say that. Woo! It don't say God cut off all your enemies. It says he cut off all your enemies from your sight. God said, I'm going to put you in a place where you're going to have enemies, but you ain't even going to know it. You're going to have enemies, but I'm not even going to let you see it. That ought to make you shout right there. I love this. I'm trying to calm down, but I got the Holy Ghost on my back. He said, I have cut off your enemies from your sight. The word cut off, study it in the Hebrew, is a circumcision word. Circumcision is a word of covenant. The only way for you to be in covenant is to be circumcised. Circumcision is to cut off from around you. Decision is to cut off the influence. Incision is to cut into something. And God says, I have circumcised your enemies from around you. I have cut them off. The only way for them to have influence in your life is for you to allow it. Because I've done my job. Y'all ain't helping me preach today. I have done my job. I have cut off all your... When I started thinking about how God protects us, whew, 
I was reminded of Psalm 121. Verse 3, he will not suffer your foot to be moved. He that keeps you will not slumber. Talk back to me. Behold, he that keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. I prophesy a shield of protection around you. He said, I I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut off all your enemies from your sight. You need to enjoy your protection. You need to uh, engage your protection. Uh, you need to employ your protection. You need to realize your protection. You need to celebrate your protection and you need to remind the devil I am protected. Somebody shout, there's a hedge around my family. There's a hedge around my life. There's a hedge around my house. There's a hedge around this church. There is blood-bought property right here. And the blood of Jesus is on the circumference of your life. Come on, Holy Ghost. Woo. That was God's commitment to his man. God's commitment to his man was this. My presence has always been with you. My presence has always been with you. My presence has always been with you. Moses said, if your presence don't go, don't send us. David said, take anything from me, but don't take your presence from me. That's God's commitment to his man. That's God's commitment to you. God's commitment to you is I will cut off your enemies from your sight. I will protect you. And while I protect you, I will preserve you. And anything that is preserved only becomes better with time. I'm keeping you. I'm not just protecting you. That's God's commitment to his man. I want you to throw your head back and shout as loud as you can. Make your mark. That's not as loud as you can. Come on. Say it again. Now watch this. God's commitment is to his man. But his covenant is to his people. The only reason God mantles a man to make a mark in the earth is not for his popularity. It's for God's people. God does not ask you to make a mark to make you famous. He, he asked you to make a mark to give you fame. I'm going to explain it to you. Fame, the fame of God through your great name is for the sake of his people, not your popularity. And this is where preachers get it wrong today. Preachers think they all that with a bag of chips with some dip. They all that with some cookies and some milk. Let me help you. The celebrity status of preachers today has built a populace and a population and a popularity that a man's mind can't handle. You just missed that. There's a difference in honoring a man of God and worshiping a man of God. And if you would really be good Christians, preach in here, Pastor Rick. If you would really be good Christians, you would celebrate your man of God. Hold on now. I ain't trying to pump up myself because I got my help. More than you celebrate all them tape series you got. If I loved a man of God that much in another city, I'd move there. If that's my word of life, I would be there. I'd be at home on Sunday morning listening to him instead of coming to this building. You need to decide to decide where your source comes from. Come on, preach, Pastor Rick. Somebody asked me one time, Butch, how do you find your church? You find your shepherd. How do you find your shepherd? Jesus said the sheep know their shepherd's voice. It's not the best children's program. It's not the best choir or the songs. It's when you find the voice that speaks to your heart. 
and speaks to your life. Somebody shout, that's my house right there. That's my house. Listen, you say, Pastor, how can you talk with such arrogance? That's not arrogance, baby. That's confidence. And there's a real thin line between the two. Paul didn't have no problem telling the church at Corinth, follow me as I follow Christ. But when you live in this region, you have to watch that because everybody feels like everybody's the same. You ain't no different than me. Oh, yes, I am. I didn't say I'm better than you, but I'm different than you. Leave it alone, Pastor Rick. Leave it alone. To all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onion on assessment seat bump. Verse 10, listen to it. Moreover, I will appoint a place, say it, a place for my people. Who's it about? The people. It's not about the popularity. It's not about the preacher. The only reason God asked a man to make a mark in the earth is for the sake of the people. Until churches get this right, People are more important than the program. We're not going any further. The people. God anoints a man to lead a people out of Egypt. The only reason God wants you to make a mark is for his people's sake. I will appoint a place for my people and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Shout this with me. Find your place. Find your place, man. I will point, appoint a place, a spot, a locality. Let me ask you, leave my notes alone. Let me ask you, where did God put his first man? In a spot. The Garden of Eden. Every man has his spot. Every man has his locality. Every man has his sphere. Every man has his metron. And you can't find your place by jumping to every spot. You will never mature by looking for every, every spot. I've had people in this church lie to me. On my staff. Tell me I'm leaving to go somewhere else because the Lord called me to another place. Quit my staff and me saying, are you going to work for that other church? No, sir. And guess what? They working for another church. That's a lie. Oh, you don't like this kind of preaching, huh? Because you're looking for your convenient place. And when things get tough and you are disciplined and you are trained, and the pressure gets on you, you jump around to another spot. Christianity ain't never been for the complacent. It ain't never been for the convenient. Christianity is about conviction. Christianity is about decisiveness. Christianity is about resolution. Christianity is about galvanized loyalty. This generation knows nothing about that. It's getting quieter. I knew, I knew we would go from a shout to a hush, but I'm good with it because I'm going to stay in the Bible. I'm going to give them not several places. I'm going to give them a place. Then he says, I will plant them in that place. Getting quiet now. I will plant them in that place. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. The word flourish means they will break forth to the, with the ability to fly. Whew, flourish. They will break forth with the ability to soar. When? When they are planted. There are so many transplanted Christians in this hour. And you know what I've learned? If you don't transplant a tree right, when the roots hit oxygen, the tree dies. There's a lot of potted plants in churches today. 
Pastor Rick, you are really hitting hard today. There's a lot I could say. But I'm just going to leave it there. I'm going to ask you to settle down. Some of you just came here. I welcome you. But I'm telling you, you're going to be here. Put your roots down. If you're going to be here when the wind blows, don't get uprooted. If you're going to be here when the preacher says something you don't like, or you hear gossiping lies from devils in the sanctuary, don't go, I didn't know that, and run. Just look at them and say, hey, do I look like a trash can? Do I have trash can right here? Don't put your trash on me. If the church would stand up against a gossiping, divisive, lying spirit, you know what the Bible says? This is what you don't see in church today. Mark those who, who cause division among the brethren. Mark them. That's New Testament theology. Mark them. Y'all don't want real church. You want that one hour church that pats you on the back and placates you. And listen, if it ain't 59 minutes, you ain't going. God forbid the Holy Ghost show up and we fall out in travail and have to stay for a couple of hours until God does something. God forbid that. All right, I'll leave it alone. Here's the next premise. You will be planted and you will no longer be disturbed. Say this with me. It ain't going to bother me no more. Now you're saying, Pastor Rick, ain't is not a proper word. Well, today it is. Say it again. It ain't. A-U-N-T. We always called Aunt Ruby, Aunt Ruby. Till we learned it was Aunt Ruby, and I didn't learn that till I was 23 years old. <laughs> and then I found out from my church in Christ friend, Church of God in Christ friend, that it was Auntie. <laughs> but to me, it still ain't Ruby. Ain't it right? <laughs> he said, you will no longer be disturbed. Say it again. It ain't going to bother me no more. And I have, verse 11, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Listen, I speak rest over you. Come on, y'all. I speak rest over you. In Jesus' name. Peace over you. In Jesus' name. So let me end this message. We're about to run the devil all the way out of Dodge. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, I'm coming after every generational curse. Amen. Come on with me now. I'm coming after every spiritual authority in heavenly places over this region, over this state, over this territory, the spirit of entitlement, the spirit of selfishness, the spirit of division, the spirit of gossip and slander. I come against it in Jesus' name. Let's get something done in here. Tell your neighbor, let's get something done here. Now watch this. What does it mean he will make your name great. It means you have made your mark. And God tells David, I have made you a great name. I will give you a great name. I will make you a great name. What does that mean? I will give you a conspicuous position of influence. It doesn't mean I'm going to make you a celebrity. It means I'm going to make you a, give you a conspicuous position of influence. In other words, everybody going to know you. The devil and all his cohorts. 
to the point that when you wake up and your feet hit the floor, the devil's going to say, oh, no. I would rather my name be known in hell than my name be known in earth. Y'all ain't hearing me. I want the devil and every demon in heavenly places to every principality, every power, every ruler. I want them to know my name. A conspicuous position that carries influence. Devil, you better know. Rick Hawkins is alive and well. And I am coming to push you back and advance the kingdom of God. That's how God wants you to be in your family. How does it happen? Now rest. Just go ahead and sit down because you're about to run all over the building. How does it happen? I got my nine minutes and I'm going to wear it out. God only told two men, John, two men in scripture. Only two men. Only How many? Only two. These words. I will make your name great. How many men? Two men. I just told you one of them. Who is he? David. Thank you for listening. He told David, I will make your name great. But Butch, welcome home. That is not the first man. That God said, I will make your name great. David's not the first man. David's not the only man. The first man that God ever said, I'm going to make your name great, is found in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram. Abram is an undone condition. It's not a prophetically fulfilled character. Just like Jacob and Israel, it's Abram and Abraham. He's not talking to Abraham. He's talking to Abram. I find it interesting that God always prophesies our end in the middle of our chaos. He speaks to you in your unfinished condition as though you are already complete. That's how good God is. And God said to Abram, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Watch it. I will make you. Welcome home, Isaiah and Summer. I will make you, listen to it, into a great nation. And I will bless you. Here you go. And I will make your name great. First man God ever said it to. Elder Pat. Abram. I will make your name great. Not this name. A name you hadn't received yet. You don't even know your name. You don't even know you yet. You don't even know the best version of yourself yet. I will make your name great. When God is talking to David, he's repeating and rehearsing what he already said to Abram. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Don't miss this. You're going to be so great that I will bless those that bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. You know what the word curse there means? I will curse them that curse you. Let me fix it for you. When he says, I will bless them that bless you, he is referring to the etymology, the bearisheth of blessing. When God breathed into man, and he became a living soul. And God blessed him and said, be fruitful. And multiply. You know what it means? To kneel down and kiss him. Woo! I watched my son River the other day. 
I walked in. When he sees Daddy, he gets happy. He starts clapping. He starts smiling. I start smiling back to him. I said, what's up, River? I'm going to get your neck, boy. I'm going to get that neck. <laughs> and he's sitting on the floor. And all that's cool until I sit down and start watching the news. That ain't cool. <laughs> but, Vicky, when I get down on my knees where he is, he starts getting happy and laughing. Why? Because he knows I'm coming to his level. And I'm going to get down as far as he is. And when I lay down, that's when he's happiest. He starts climbing all over my face, pulling my ears and my hair. And he's so excited because I'm down on his level. When God blesses you, you ought to be like river. You ought to look at God and say, God, I got to get on top of you. I got to show you some love. I got to show you how excited I am. Can I submit to you that God is here today to bless you God is here today to get on your level to hug you and kiss you and tell you you are his favorite and he says I will curse them that curse you it literally means to make you feel less than what I ordained you to be it means to belittle you don't fight your battles let God fight them for you but here's the key Whew, I could preach all day. Here's the key to him receiving this pronouncement. Giovanna, I will make your name great. We always miss the precursor to the prophetic blessing. The precursor to I will make your name great is you do what I say. Leave your country. Leave your kind. Go to a land, Crystal, I will show you. Number one is sacrifice. Are you willing to leave? Leave what? Relationships that are unhealthy. Alliances that, that you have formed that are ungodly. Are you willing to leave old mindsets and learn behaviors that are diametrically opposed to your perfect destiny in God? Are you willing to leave soul ties? Are you willing to leave stuff in your life that distracts you and detours you and delays you until you're willing to sacrifice and leave stuff? You will never enter what God has blessed you to enjoy. Second phase is obey, which means go. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to do anything God says to do? Anything. Are you willing to abandon everything for the sake of the will of God? Do you know how hard it and difficult it was for me to leave San Antonio to come here? Huh. I was willing to leave, but I wasn't willing to go. In other words, I knew my San Antonio time was probably up, but I wasn't real sure about Oklahoma. Are you with me? California? Florida? Oklahoma? The Lord spoke to me the other day and told me every February I am called to Florida. <laughs> I call you to Florida every February for the rest of your life, Rick Hawkins. Four-week revival. <laughs> I was willing to leave, but I wasn't really, really willing to go. But until I said yes to God... I could never enjoy the I wills of God. Eight times after that, God tells Abram, I will. Until you are willing to leave and go, you will never enjoy the will. I will bless you. I will keep you. I will curse them that curse. I will do all this stuff for you if you will leave and go. Somebody shout God is good. Now here's the thing about the will of God. The will of God comes by progressive revelation. We all wish that we could just go. That's the will of God. The will of God comes how? Progressive revelation. What does that mean? As you go, 
he shows. When you stop, he stops. As you move, he opens. Come on in this building. As you grow in him, he reveals more to you. When you stop, everything ends. You have no further, but as you're willing to move, he said, go to a land I will show you, Brad. As you go, he opens up. What are you saying to us, Pastor Rick? Don't quit. Stop quitting. Stop quitting church. Stop quitting worship. Stop quitting praise. Stop doing that. Stop being a quitter. Come on, y'all. Talk back to me. If things don't feel right, I'm not doing it. Then, no, stop doing that. You're a quitter. You start saying, I'm going to praise God regardless of the problem I'm facing. I'm going to worship God no matter how worried I am about a situation. I'm going to serve him with all my heart and nothing's going to stop me. God is good. Last question, and I'll end if you believe me. The last question is this. You say, Pastor Rick, your message is make your mark. Well, what if my mark is a mark of shame? What if my mark is failure? What if the greatest thing I've known by is a failure in my life? Now, that might not reach the magnitude for you that it's reached for me. Because for years, I carried that. Even in my own family, I carried that. He's a failure. He failed. Shame on you, Ricky. I know y'all don't watch Game of Thrones. You're too sanctified for that. But do you remember the food? Shame. 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 And she has to walk through the whole city with tomatoes and all kind of stuff. Shame. Shame. What is she doing? She's carrying her shame. And some of you are like that. Some of you are like me. For years, I preached with toxic shame. Not guilt. Shame. You can get over guilt. But shame is unbearable. And I would preach with confidence and leave the pulpit and go home and feel shame. I remember sitting in a restaurant in San Antonio, Texas, eating by myself. And I saw former members of my church sitting on the other side of the restaurant. And I saw them pointing at me. And I walked in and I sat down and they wouldn't even speak to me. I walked over to speak to them and they turned their, all of them turned, six of them just turned their backs to me. And I thought to myself, that hurt. I thought we were Christians. But Christians have a way of shaming you. They want you to feel shame for what you did. They want you to feel dirty. And shame is a horrible burden to bear. You walk into a room and you're not sure if people like you or not like you. Are they talking about your past? That's hard to live under. And for years I thought, well, that'll be my mark. 4,500 people remember church? A failure in his city, the golden boy of San Antonio, a failure. And I thought, well, that's what I'll be known by. And then one day, God showed up. No, I never quit preaching. You don't understand. And I never quit seeing moves of God. But I couldn't get rid of the shame. And one day I fell out on my floor. And I said, God, I can't carry this no more. I can't do it. I'm seeing people set free. Moves of God through me and I'm not free myself. And it ain't fair. It's not fair for you to do that for them. And not do it for me. And God told me, get my word, son. And he brought me to Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 19. 
Here's what God says. I will get you praise and fame in every land where they have put you to shame. And God told me, I'm going to turn your shame to fame. I'm going to use the very thing that should destroy you to build a nation of believers that have gone through stuff like you've gone through and they came back. And they're bigger and better than they've ever been in their whole life. Can I tell you, some of you are not carrying guilt. You're carrying shame. And God told me to tell you, you still going to leave a mark. But your mark is not going to be the mark of shame. Your mark is going to be the mark of fame. A conspicuous position of influence. All that you've lost is being restored to you a hundredfold. Your best is in front of you and not behind you.